You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365, and we're excited to have you back again. And you know, this is you know the beautiful episode 150, 150. So we're not like halfway or anything, but I think that you know it's kind of one of those numbers that uh, is exciting to kind of get to. And you know, one of the things that you know I'm you've been doing a lot of looking back, and we're going to re- release a couple you know of eBooks and a couple of reports. Uh, between now and the halfway mark. So uh, between, you know, now and, you know, like that episode 184, 185, 183 in that area. So we have some things that are coming out. And, you know, a lot of them are on, you know, certain NFT uh, perspectives. The other one, you know, one I'm excited to kind of do a a, a full data uh, kind of deep dive on is, you know, looking back at these, you know, NFTs that we bought for uh, 150 straight days, right? And uh, actually, today's uh, NFT that we purchased was actually one uh, on another new, uh, you know, blockchain or marketplace. As we bought on the Recur uh, marketplace, we actually bought one. Um, and Recur has like a, you know, if you have you bought this pass, and I bought this pass, <laughs> it's kind of how how it worked uh, last, you know, uh, late fall. Um, is that, you know, someone told me, Hey, Brian, you have to get this passed. They're going to release some cool things that come out with it. Uh, I of course said, sure, whatever. It was like $300, um, which in this game, especially at that time was, uh, very, uh, not very much as far as, um, kind of getting a pass to get additional, uh, NFTs. But I, I've said this on the podcast before, you know, one of the things that I had, a, we have to learn is that if an NFT is simply giving you exclusive access to buy more NFTs, if you don't have liquidity, th- that pass is pretty much useless. And so it's almost like that pass is more for those that are playing kind of at a different game or a different level, in my opinion, right? Because uh, you, you still have to do your research amongst the projects. And and I will tell you, like the Recur Pass, uh, I believe this is the fifth drop that has happened um, under that Recur Pass um, since I, you know, uh, since I've owned it, I've, I, you know, originally minted it. And this is the first one that I actually minted a project on. And we actually, you know, minted uh, a pretty cool NFT, which, you know, I would tell you, we're going to go over some of the NFTs, uh, coming up, but we actually minted the, the Star Trek continuum. Uh, and I'm not a Star Trek fan or Star Wars fan for that matter. I know, don't hate me. Uh, but it gave us the, uh, we got access to this Admiral pack, um, which you know gives us a, a chance of getting a, a one of one, uh, you know uh, NFT, which could be released on the, on that project. And and the reason I was bringing that up, and I, I think it connects perfectly to this conversation, you know, is as I've been looking back over these 150 days of buying an NFT every single day, you know, one of the things that we put into our our trust matrix, which is the matrix that we use, um, or I say I use uh, to kind of decide which NFTs we're going to purchase. And I will tell you, it's, it, you know, depending on the day or depending on the, the hype of an NFT, sometimes 
the trust matrix can be overkill because you know what's available to to buy that day can be limited but i will tell you especially on my like my personal bag if i'm looking at a project and deciding if i want to go big into it ape into it or you know how if i'm going to recommend others to buy into it um i definitely put it through this entire trust matrix and and one of the things we added on early was this idea of projected utility or actual utility right and what i meant by that was you know, the actual utility means, hey, they are they have the capability to deliver this out of the gate, even if it's not if it's on the roadmap later on, they have the ability to execute that no matter what. And so this could be things like merchandise. It could be um, in some cases, it could be meetups at existing events. Um, I know a, a lot of events have put in their their roadmap that they or a lot of projects have put roadmaps where they're like, they're like hey, we're going to have, you know, in-person events in certain cities. And if these people haven't ever put together an event, I mean, there's no way that I'm looking at that as a value add. Um, and so I always looked at things and saying projected utility or actual utility. Now, I will tell you the more that I've been studying this space and I, and I will, you know, you know, kind of own the fact that I'm a pretty big geek. And one of the metrics that I mentioned um, in last episode, and I've kind of mentioned it before, was that you know, I like to look at the you know, the individual holders of an NFT. How many individual holders are there? And I will tell you, even as a tool, you know, when I look at a project, let's say a project is launching, and they had their whitelist. You know, even if I'm, I'm you know pretty excited about um, actually going and 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 purchasing that NFT, I will log onto a tool, um, kind of like there's a bunch of tools out there, but Icy Tools happens to be my my personal favorite, and I'll log onto. IC tools and I'll click on the project and it'll say unique minters. So it'll say like the entire collection is 8,882. And then it'll tell me how many minters there are of that project. And this one that I'm looking at in front of me, I'm not even sure what the project is, but it's 2,313 individual minters, which means that's a 26% uh, ratio, which to me means, you know, they're not reaching, um, you know, a, a bunch of people aren't just holding one or two. There's, I mean, there's probably a whole bunch of whales. And with the average person holding um, as many as more than three, uh, that to me is usually a red flag in the sense that, you know, the predictability of that um, project can be very, uh, you know, kind of a hot mess because I will tell you there's some other projects that I was, I've been a part of in the past that had, you know, they actually had a decent amount of individual holders but they had some hold. They had a couple holders of the project that owned like ten percent, eight percent, seven percent of the entire supply. And you might be wondering, like, okay, what, why does that matter? Well, though that one person or a couple of people can really dictate how the that project can go as far as the floor. Or let's say, you know, one of the project I was in, um, someone. Uh, really was was out of line and they kind of got called out by some people on the project. And that person owned, I believe at the time, over 8% of the total supply and dumped that total supply. Now they didn't dump it like, you know, kind of like an idiot, but they put a little bit on the floor, a little bit more on the floor and just kept undercutting the floor uh, until they pretty much sold almost all of their supply. And that can be, you know, high risk, right? And I understand the value of whales. I understand the value of those that are, are holding, um, you know, masses amounts uh, of certain uh, projects. And this happens in every project. But, you know, that, that um, kind of unpredictability, it can be really 
dragging. But here's the the flip side of it, right? One of my favorite projects, um, and it's been my favorite project since Mint Day, uh, is Crypto Dads. And Crypto Dads actually has uh, over 7,000 individual holders of 11, it's an 11,000-piece collection, and over 7,000 individual holders. It's actually, it has the most amount of holders for 11,000 and or less collection. Now, that's actually a red flag as well. And at first I thought, man, that's amazing because there's that many people that love the project that they're holding on to the one they have, which is probably true, right? Like that's actually might be the case. But here's the thing with that is that if there is not a lot of volume, if everyone is holding just one, there aren't many people that are willing to sell or buy or trade. So there's not a lot of inbound, but you might be like, okay, well, Brian, that, that sounds good. Well, if the project owners or founders of that project are looking at using that secondary budget of secondary sales to help continue to pay the team and grow the project, having too many individual mentors or holders can actually be a big problem because they're not getting that amount, you know, that extra amount of volume of secondary sales where they're getting, you know, between five and 10% uh, of that kickback on every secondary sale. And so this, you know, kind of positions things kind of in a very interesting way. But this also kind of falls into what I look at utility and roadmap now versus when I looked at it six months ago. Because the other part of this whole game when it comes to NFTs is that, you know, there is a lot to do with speculation, right? Let, let, let's face it, we, you know, anything that's in, you know, stocks or crypto or fun, you know, th- we, the speculation game is a big one, right? So we're, we're speculating that, you know, more people are going to want this or what we're holding is going to increase in value, or we're speculating that the things that are, are yet to be delivered are going to, to, to increase, you know, what we're liking on a project. But I actually want to put this out there when we think about this is one of the things that I found is a massive issue. And it is an issue across many of the biggest and best projects that are out there right now is that when they're delivering uh, utility and when they're delivering on roadmap, a lot of that utility and roadmap is limiting. And what I mean by that is there will be things like, hey, whoever mints, uh, you know, this project if they have the roller skates in them, um, you'll be qualified to get a pair of roller skates sent to your house, which I think is actually a really cool utility. Uh, 90s Babes is one of the NFTs that I know dropped that utility. The problem becomes, you know, when that only happens one time or that happens, you know, originally, right? And and the cool part is like the, the thing we have to think about with, you know, the delivery of utility for long-term value and even value that can spark um, additional purchases or, you know, FOMO or really uh, utility that could, you know, for me, this is one of the actually things I love to look at is what utility that will be delivered or will be scheduled to be delivered will actually have people delist their NFTs. Let me say that again. A lot of people focus utility on say, okay, what utility will you deliver where more people will want in? But I actually think that's only one way of looking at it. What if the utility that you're providing and the continual utility that you're providing is so good that people are like, I cannot sell my NFTs. I'm going to delist them. I'm going to remove them from the marketplace. And delisting just simply means either you're not listing them on uh, for sale or if you had them listed for sale, whenever this utility is dropped, you're all of a sudden like, nope, there's no way I'm selling this now because I want to you know, wait for that to be delivered. Now, this can sound great. But we also know that pretty much with almost all projects over the last five months, 
when utility is delivered, like whenever, you know, let's say when World of Women dropped World of Women Galaxy or when V Friends, you know, which to me is one of the premier, if not the premier uh, NFT collection uh, that isn't built on like FOMO or status. When V Friends rolled out the, you know, they all of the VCon tickets were delivered to um, all of the V Friends holders. Like the floor price on V Friends went way down because some people that were like, hey, the reason I was holding on to this this V Friends NFT was because I wanted to get tickets to this, you know, I wanted my five tickets to this year's event. And as soon as they got those five tickets, they were like, okay, now I have no problem selling my NFT. Now, I will say there's there's part of this is a little bit of genius on Gary V's part because he knows that's going to spark a, a increase in volume because people are like, okay, I got my my one year tickets. Now, the thing that's different on V Friends is that from the jump, it was built in that you get tickets for the first three years events. So the funny thing is for me is that when people sell their NFT right after that first drop, what they're pretty much saying is, well, they just want to buy it for the first one. Now, we I've had this discussion with a lot of whales and a lot of people that are very big into this space. And what they say is like, well, I'm going to dump it now because I feel like I need that liquidity. But come, you know, uh, seven months from now, eight months from now, before it leads up to the next event, I'm going to buy back in so that I can get the next year's uh, uh, tickets. Or they'll say like, I'm going to see how VCon was this year, and then it'll determine um, if I if I want to hold on to you know V Friends next year. And so one of the things that I've been trying to track or better understand how we can deliver, how we can analyze, is not only what is the you know utility that a project is going to provide, right? And utility is really just, if you think about it this way, right? Like if you're holding this, you get that. Whatever that is, is ultimately the utility, right? And so in a, you know, when you think about it from a business plan perspective or a product and features or services perspective, you know, a lot of times services that just kind of continue to deliver on what they originally promised, that is enough to keep most people customers in web two, in Web3, what I've found is if you are not continually upping the game or providing you know, speculation or FOMO or building on people's narratives to either hold or to you know, delist, then you are going to run into a problem where once something is delivered or executed, there's a high chance you're going to have a max mass exodus. Now, that could be great because you're going to get a lot of volume of trade, which means that percentage is going to go back to the team and the team can you know, build additional marketing and sales on that. But here's, the, here's the, the, the kicker that I think we have to look at is once like something's originally delivered, is it attracting new people that want that thing that was just delivered? Or is it keeping the existing people that got the first thing that want more? Or here, this is the, and this is the, the big or. Or is it leaving people in limbo of saying, I missed out on that first delivery and it sucks that I'm not a part of that project. And they're like, well, I'm not going to get it now. And the people that are in it now are like, wow, it took a while for them to deliver what they said they're going to deliver. And I'm glad they delivered it. But for me, it's no longer worth holding. And I look at a lot of projects right now in that little middle ground where a lot of people love the project 
but feel that they missed out because they're they weren't in there for the first like kind of big uti- couple utility drops. And then there are a lot of people that have been a part of a project for a while that are either burnt out on it or it isn't what they expected or in some cases like they've been very active in in Discord and they're like you know what I can no longer maintain this and that true value of this project is is based on my level of activity. And I look at this as a web three, uh, you know, conundrum, right? Uh, what I mean by this is like, how do we look, you know, at how do, and I'm going to sit on both sides, right? How do we as, as project creators, project founders look at what we're delivering? Not only, you know, the execution on the roadmap, but here's the, here's the thing that's funny about this is that people will often say, well, Brian, you know, as long as we're communicating, if we miss our first couple of deadlines, as long as we communicate and deliver what we said we were going to deliver eventually, we're going to keep people happy. And, and that might be true, but I don't think that keeps people holding on longer than they might have normally been holding on. And what I mean by that is like there, there, are, there are some projects that I know that being a part of that project, that is just something I love and have it, you know, having it in my bag, being associated with people that are part of it, it, you know, is something that I just, I cherish, right? Then there's some of those NFTs. Now, some of them might be nostalgia because of, you know, when I was, when I got into the project. Um, for me, I know a big piece for me is like, I love being a part of projects from the very start. Like I, I, I feel a little bit, oh, what's the right, right word? Um, I get a little bit of imposter syndrome or a little bit of must be nice syndrome, right? When, if I jump into an existing project that, I have, that I've been tracking for a long while and I jump in and I'm like, oh, this project's cool. They have a great community. I, depending on how that community you know, interacts and how things are rewarded and how things are, are, are actually executed on, the difference between me being welcomed in and treated like everyone else that has an NFT versus treated like, hey, thanks for coming. You're a little bit late and you'll still get some of the, the utility, but you know, you missed out on on like the, the initial bonding or the or the fun or the creation of these groups. And so the thing that I actually look at as like this whole like, you know, and that's from the project side, right? From the, the collector side, what I've started to be looking at is what is the projected price that I believe a project will be when the utility that I think is most valuable is delivered. And depending on when that is and what I believe that possible price will be actually will determine if I'm going to hold it or just sell it now and maybe jump back in just before that utility is delivered. Now, I've said this before. One of the things I think is missing from a lot of projects is the actual like uh, attribution of an NFT, right? So rewarding, you know, rewarding people that are either, you know, original minters or people that have never, you know, left the project permanently. Maybe they sold a couple, but they've always held on to a couple as well. Um, also rewarding those that were in early that maybe left and came back, right? Like there's there's like a, a couple different ways that we, we can look at this. And I and I will say, I think this is a massive Web3 problem. Like I think, because here's the, here's, here's the really bigger, pro, bigger, you know, thing that I'm seeing is that projects are, you know, unlike VFriends, right? There are other projects that have delivered for almost a year now. And they're at a point where the the excitement from the outside is not enough for people to pay the high premium to get in. And the holding it on the inside and saying, hey, I'm proud to be a part of this has kind of run its track a little bit or doesn't have like the same uh, cliche that it might have had in the past. 
And when you're in that limbo, what I've actually found, and I think this is scary, is a lot of founders are going and launching another project, a different project, completely different project, or the artist bails and says, you know what, I'm gonna launch a different project. And the part of the reason I believe on that is that there isn't a true business plan behind a lot of these projects on how are you attracting new customers? How are you, how are you maintaining and, you know, delivering to your existing customers? What is your upsell or your, you know, value prop for people to stay as a long-term customer? Think about it from your phone plans, right? There's a reason that I've been, I've been on with AT&T since the day they launched the iPhone. I have not switched off of AT&T. I bought a T-Mobile phone for a while that I've had because I've had an Android and an iPhone, but I've had an AT&T account since that jump. And the reason being is I am grandfathered in to a price that is ridiculously low for what I have as you know unlimited data. And the funny thing about it is, what is that for NFT projects today? What is the unlimited data grandfathered in offer that exists today. And you might be like, Brian, well, there's Genesis passes and founders passes. Well, Genesis passes and founders passes can be sold just like everything else can be sold. And so the the need or the desire to hold it and say, hey, if I'm not holding this, I can get back in later exists in Web3. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's this whole digital ownership piece that allows us in and out, in and out. But what I see as a as a problem is that now when I'm looking at roadmaps, and, and funny enough, this kind of goes into that like individual holder that I said earlier, right? Like I look at projects that if, you know, like I think the sweet spot for projects is about 40% to 70% of individual holders. Now, a lot of projects are putting out, you know, the, the next edition, right? So they're, if they have a 10,000 piece collection, they put out a 15,000 piece collection next because they want to give one free mint to their 10,000 existing members. And then uh, they want to onboard 5,000 new people, you know, fresh blood. But it's, it's really the problem that I, you know, funny enough, on episode one of this podcast, one of the things that I put out there about the Board Ape Yacht Club is that as much as Board Ape Yacht Club has done an amazing job of creating a brand and they have, you know, the Mutant Ape Yacht Club, they have the, the dogs, they, you know, they've done a, a great job. They still have really like a user base that, that wants their merchandise that, that like is like ride or die or loyal to that brand of under 30,000 people. And if you think about it, under 30,000 people as your potential audience is, uh, yeah, micro in the whole brand merchandise, you know, target audience game. And so then the question became like, oh, well, they're going to roll out the ape coin. Well, I don't know about you, but who is holding the ape coin that feels like they would now buy a bored ape, you know, sweatshirt, right? Like, I, I don't see that connection. I don't see me ever buying bored ape merchandise unless I own a bored ape or, or a mutant ape. And even weirdly enough, like I don't even see if I own a mutant ape, I don't think I would ever buy a board ape uh, yacht club shirt. It's just my, my, my own like, kind of connection to uh, different spaces, right? And then, you know, this kind of also kind of funnels into, you know, what is the likelihood of someone buying merchandise or getting merchandise for free and then selling that NFT and, you know, still wearing that merchandise, right? And I think that's actually one of those interesting signals that, you know, I, I think it's interesting. Like V Friends just dropped their merchandise and you don't have to be a V Friends holder to, uh, you know, be wearing that, you know, have V Friends sweatshirt or V Friends uh, merchandise. I know Drew, our producer here on the show, he he has a V Friend uh, and he, ha- he got a V Friends sweatshirt. And I was laughing because I was like, 
what's the likelihood of, of you actually flipping that or selling that drew right like now now maybe v friends is a little different of a game only because it has like kind of that connection and loyalty uh to gary v like i have a couple t-shirts that i bought uh, back in 2014, 2015 from Gary V. Um, that like, I mean, I've worn them so much that like the, the sleeves and the pits were wearing in. So like I had to cut off the sleeves. But the funny thing about that is like I'm wearing them, you know, mainly because I, I like the shirt and it's more of a Gary V thing. And so when a brand or a NFT project doesn't have that kind of connection, that time of loyalty or that kind of really like, you know, you know what does it mean for someone to, continue to rep or wear something or be proud of something if they're no longer holding it. That's a, that's an issue. That's something that we have to kind of uh, identify. And then lastly, I'll say the thing that we have to also look at, you know, I talked about individual holders. Well, we also have to look at how many of the holders of a project, and this sounds kind of scary, but it's the truth. How many holders of a project are directly related or in the inner circle of the founder of the project? And and what I mean by this is that there is something to, you know, kind of that that kind of exists when it comes to understanding, you know, what percentage of the supply is owned and what percentage of the active supply is being run by a few people or a lot of people. So I will tell you, you know, Psychedelics Anonymous is a project that I really love. I, I originally minted it. Of course, it was stolen uh, from my wallet, as well as three other components. Uh, the good news is I had someone in that community actually gifted me one off the floor, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but I still don't have three of the of the five components. But the, the thing about that project that I think is really interesting in this conversation is that I've actually been monitoring the actual individual holders, but also the actual, you know, who is actually driving the activity of the actual um, project. Because when we think about it, like this is something that we have to kind of kind of put out there. And I will tell you, in this project, which you know, uh, you know, Psychedelics Anonymous has a nine thousand four hundred in supply. There are the the person that owns the most owns only two percent of the total supply. So the biggest whale in that project has two hundred and sixty NFTs. The next person has one hundred and sixty four. The next seventy five, and it goes down by then. The person with the tenth most ownership has twenty two NFTs, which is less than 0.23 percent. And so for me, all of a sudden, okay, ooh, okay, that's interesting because this there isn't a ton of whales because when I look at other projects with a similar price point, even if you put out um, like World of Women, which would be is you know one that we all like, there's you know kind of held in in high regard. When I pull up World of Women and I pull up their you know individual holders and you know how holders are are managed on their project, it's very aligned with Psychedelics Anonymous. The, the person that owns the most world of women actually owns 229 of them. The second most owns 200 of them. And so there's no, like, kind of like that correlation between those two actually is, is pretty, you know, I'm like, wow, that's, that makes a lot of sense in the sense of, you know, what is this project, you know, kind of how that project is rolling out, what that project, um, you know, these are kind of projects that really have spread out the wealth. They're, they aren't kind of held by just one group of people. They are so also um, kind of have, you know, the, the top leaderboard is kind of is spread out as well. But the other piece that I love to kind of like look at is, you know, in inside of uh, IC tools, which of course the project is a tool I use, and there's a lot of tools that you can use. You can look at the top sellers and the top buyers of NFTs. 
So I can actually look and say who who's buying and who's selling. Like what is like what is the number of solds? You know how much who's making the kind of the most profit? And remember, a lot of this you know some of them have a .eth address, but a lot of it is just with the wallet address. So it doesn't mean that we can actually see the individuals. But one of the things that I love to see is you know the people that have you know that are you know that have been selling or or buying the most. When was their last buy? When was their most recent buy? Right because. It's funny when you start to pull up projects where this is actually something that, and maybe this is giving like the massive alpha. And for those that have lasted this long into the podcast episode, I'll give you the alpha. If I'm thinking about jumping into an existing project, I want to know if the whales have been flipping some of theirs off recently, if they've been dumping some of their supply. I also want to know, you know, if, if the founder has bought back in, a lot of founders, you know, are buying back into projects or sweeping the floors, um, which, you know, you can, you can have your own judgment on that. I, I don't have a problem of it if it's done transparently and done kind of at the, at the right time in my, in my personal opinion. But the, the other part of this that I think is just really interesting as far as, you know, kind of looking at, you know, you know, project trends, project, um, you know, where, you know, where some of the traffic is going. I've said this before that I love to look at like, you know, screws floor price. Like I look at, like to look at average sale price on the, like, you know, what's the average sale price day over day, right? Like what is that average sale price? But I also like to know what is the, what is the price point of the actual, like, you know, let's just say the average person coming in that owns maybe less than one or less than two, right? Or the person that is buying uh, a second or third. And so for me, these trends, like thinking of things this way is a big deal, and I think even more so of a big deal that we have to also think about is that what does it mean for a project on as far as are they delivering, are they continue to deliver, or in the long term, what are their goals? If a project is only, you know, I got a project in the mail, I got a delivery in the mail uh, today that actually is the utility of one of the projects that I hold. And I was like, man, this utility is so cool. Like, this is what I was looking forward to. But the funny thing about it is once they took the snapshot of uh, delivering this uh, utility to everyone, the price, price, the floor is tanked. It has continued to be tanked. And really the only reason I'm still holding on to mine is because I couldn't wait to get the delivery of that utility. So what is that project going to do to recreate momentum, to spur new people on or even keep someone like me to hold mine when I've already got the thing out of it that I already wanted? I think that's the Web3 conundrum that I think we have to try to solve. And I don't really have the answer for it yet, but it's definitely one I'm going to be tackling with some of the projects that I'm involved in. And there'll be more that I'll share on the podcast. So until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers. Hey.